The thyroid might be one of the most misunderstood glands and hormone and endocrinology and just functional systems, both in the conventional and the natural and alternative space that I really feel like there needs to be someone who can disseminate information from both sides and help you understand really what's going on with the thyroid gland. Welcome to Gut Chick Radio, the holistic health podcast where we explore the uniqueness of the human experience to help you navigate your health journey. I'm Nick Belden, a chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And you all know what's coming next, but the information provided in this podcast is for educational entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, cure, or treat any disease. And do not apply any of the information here without first speaking with your physician. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Gut Check Radio. It's your host, Dr. Nick here. And as the title of this slide implies, we're talking about 13 tips to heal your thyroid. This is going to be one in a 13-part series. I know those of you out there listening are going, oh my gosh, 13, that's a lot. That's also an unlucky number. That's also my wife's favorite number. So in my view, it is, in fact, a lucky number. I'll tell you how this series was spawned. If you don't care, I'm sorry. But if you care, then you might like this. In the beginning of my practice, my, my, my training, you know, they say you always fall to the level of your training. My training told me that if someone walks into your office with fatigue, such as yourself, maybe listening, fatigue, weight gain, constipation, mood all over the place, thyroid, you know, it's thyroid abnormalities. It's probably low thyroid. It's probably subclinical hypothyroid. Maybe there's some autoimmunity, you know, go after it. So in the beginning, I was running all the thyroid labs, total T4, total T3, free T3, free T4 and TSH and all the, the antibodies, reverse T3, T3 uptake, free thyroxine index. For those of you who just totally are lost at all the words I just said, me too. But I started, I, I ran such an extensive panel. And what I found after doing this over and over and over and over again, is that most of the time, I wasn't really getting helpful information. I'd have people that would walk in my door with a subjective, you know, they would on their questionnaire, they would put nine, eight, sometimes 10 out of 10 for fatigue, weight gain or mood or you know, the classic thyroid symptoms where they'd fill out a questionnaire and they would just light up in the low thyroid section. And then I run this extensive panel and nothing comes up. Most everything is within normal. Most everything is even within the optimal ranges to even speak on that point. Especially the T4 and TSH were not significant in the slightest. And then I would have some people and myself included. So here's my bias. And I think it's important for healthcare practitioners to put forth their bias. So you all know where we're coming from. My bias is whenever I do a full thyroid panel on myself, it looks miserable. TSH is elevated. Thyroid antibodies are through the roof. But I'm very blessed and thankful that I don't deal with fatigue. I don't deal with struggles with weight gain. My mood is pretty stable. So I don't have nearly any of the classic thyroid symptoms. Yet my labs look like a hot mess. Yet on all these people I was seeing who they even put in their paperwork, I'm a hot mess. Their thyroid didn't look like a hot mess. It actually looked like it was functioning pretty well, but they had all the thyroid symptoms. This led me down the rabbit hole of what am I missing? You know, what is it about the thyroid labs? Am I not running enough? Am I, are they, am I not running them at the right time? Like, what am I missing here? It really compelled me to start the series and to really help you all out there understand why sometimes for those of you who've probably been to your conventional practitioner and you were dismissed by having certain lab markers run, I totally understand that you're frustrated, but there might be a reason for that. And also if you went to a naturopath, a functional, another functional medicine doctor, they probably ran everything and they probably found enough stuff that looks higher low. That's what I always tell people. The more labs you run, the more likely you are to run something that's higher low. 
that can be both good, also not so good in the hands of the wrong clinician. So let's get into it. So the first tip really is to that term, it's test, don't guess. And my, my theory on this is, is, is molding ever so slightly into actually doing different kinds of testing that don't actually directly test the thyroid gland, but indirectly assess the thyroid function. And I'll describe that delineation more here in a moment, but you really have two schools of thought here. For those listening on audio on the left side, you have the conventional thinking. So as you walk into maybe your primary care provider, maybe even an endocrinologist, and they focus on running what, from what people have told me too few tests. And that really don't tell you a lot about what's happening to the thyroid hormone at the cellular level. Why do I use that term cellular level? Thyroid hormone works in our cells. And we, so we have, you have the bloodstream, which is where things travel. It's like the highway, but people don't live on highways. People live in a house. We just use the highway to travel back to our house. And that's kind of how hormones work. Hormones don't work on the highway. They don't work in the bloodstream. They work in the cells in our house. So what you have to understand is that much of the time you're measuring where people are living by looking at where they are in traffic. So you're not really getting a full picture at what the thyroid hormone is doing in the cells. You're just measuring it in blood, which can be a good proxy. And in some instances, it's the best we have, but still just running TSH tells you nothing or thyroid stimulating hormone tells you nothing about what's happening to the thyroid at the cellular level. And then there's the more functional alternative natural approach that focuses on running too many tests that from what I mentioned in the beginning can create more noise and less signal. What does that mean? You know, you can generate a lot of activity, a lot of sound, and sometimes that sound is helpful. It's a signal. It's something to follow. And sometimes it's a bunch of hoopla, it's a bunch of noise that you should have no business double clicking on. That's one of those tabs that you double click on and then you get a virus all of a sudden and then your computer doesn't work. And there's three tests in particular that I think there, I used to run these on everybody and that I actually used to put a lot of emphasis on myself that as I learn more and as I've sort of thought about this differently, three tests, I don't think need to be run as frequently as they are in the functional and natural community. Number one is free T3. And here's what most practitioners, myself included, used to say, or still now say to people regarding thyroid hormone tests. Oh, we can't just run your TSH because T4 is the inactive hormone and T3 is the active hormone. So we want to run the active hormone. And if it's free, meaning it's available for your cells to use versus when you run a total T3 that includes all the T3 that's bound and un unbound. If we, we, we want to run what's free because that's what's off the bus and ready to go into the house. And in that logic totally makes sense. Totally understand that. But then you realize there's something called a half-life, which is how long does that particular molecule hang around in the blood? The longer something hangs around in the blood, the more of a better predictor that blood test can be. So if something's in the blood for three to five days and you measure it, that's a pretty good proxy. If something is in the blood for say three to five minutes, measuring it now versus 10 minutes might be completely different. So it's kind of useless. And that's sort of what free T3 is. It's half-life in the blood is so fast and it's such a small amount of the total pool of thyroid hormone that it really doesn't tell you again, a lot about what's happening at the cellular level, it doesn't give you a lot of stability in that it's a very short sided test. So it, that number could change if you ran it again in 10 or 15 minutes versus reverse T3. That's something I used to run. And I used to tell people, you know, as you're under stress, your thyroid is going to create more what's called reverse T3 because it normally wants to go from T4 to T3. 
And if you're under stress for whatever reason, lack of sleep, multiple children, underfeeding, overfeeding, under-exercising, over-exercising, your body's going to convert T4 to reverse T3 because it doesn't want to use up T3 because your body isn't in a safe place. I used to say that and I used to run, run that at everybody and I used to find things that I would justify, oh, hey, that's why it's high, that's why it's low. But then you realize that there's actually very little, if no data that points to the fact that elevated levels of reverse T3, which would mean more stress, correlate with more stress. There's actually nothing in the research that points to that conclusion. And there's nothing that points to there being a conclusion between reverse T3 levels and fatigue, weight gain, constipation. So you really can't infer much from that singular marker. And you know, as helpful as it would be to be the marker of stress, it really doesn't turn out to be when you look at the literature. And lastly, I mentioned autoimmunity earlier. So autoimmune thyroid called Hashimoto's is one of the most common conditions. Well, it is the most prevalent autoimmune condition by measuring the lab. And the lab they use to measure is something I'll get to in a little bit. It's called thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Now there's another type of autoimmune marker here called thyroglobulin. A lot of fancy names. We don't really need to get into the semantics. You know, I don't want to be the Huberman lab podcast. I'm nowhere near as intelligent, but we can still understand what the terms mean and what should you do out there listening. Thyroglobulin antibodies have again been shown to not be predictive at all of future autoimmunity, current autoimmunity. And it's, it's now sort of understood that TPO antibodies are far better of a predictor than thyroglobulin or TG antibodies. So in conclusion, the three tests I don't think we should be running anymore for thyroid assessment are free T3, reverse T3, and thyroglobulin antibodies. And if those of you are listening out there and you found helpful information from running one of these three tests, or you've worked with a practitioner who's used that particular test of yours to help you, that's awesome. That's great. It's, it's worked in your instance. Maybe that's their bias from what they've seen. From what I've seen is that unfortunately, none of these markers were really that helpful. And it led me to having a lot more noise than actual signal. But I do think there is a plethora of things we can use to fully assess. There's a, there's a, a great, uh, there's a great shed. People always say, you know, tools in a tool belt. I'll, we'll say, we'll call them tools in a tool shed, even though I am nowhere near a handyman that we can use testing wise to actually assess thyroid function. And you want to think about it from a big picture perspective. So instead of just asking, what are the specific tests? We first want to uncover what, what really is the 30,000 foot strategy we want to assess for? And I, I put three things here, three big ones. Number one is we want to assess for nutrients that are needed to produce thyroid hormones. So namely certain vitamin and mineral levels. That's going to include things like magnesium, iron, selenium, even things like folate and B12, all vitamins and minerals that are heavily involved in the production iodine in the production of thyroid hormone. That's really important. Number two is you want to assess, you want to test for factors that could impair the production a of thyroid hormone or impair the usage of hormone. Like I talked about the hormones are on the highway, but they got to get to a house. And sometimes there's traffic, there's interference. Sometimes there's accidents that prevent that hormone from getting to the house. What are those accidents and traffic? inflammation and autoimmunity. And thankfully there are numerous markers that have been shown to be very good predictors of inflammatory levels that we can use to assess if there's anything within your, you know, your Google maps trajectory, shameless plug, not, not sponsored by Google, your Google maps trajectory, your Apple maps or your ways, you know, pick your favorite map of choice that will tell you, Hey, is there traffic? Are there accidents when I'm going home? Is there inflammation in my body that could be 
preventing the usage and production of thyroid hormone, even though my blood levels say everything's fine. That's the second thing. The third thing are going to be factors that could alter the demand for thyroid hormone. So is there, is there physiologic cases where there might be more or less than a demand for thyroid hormone? That's going to include things like how much muscle you have, your metabolic health. All these factors are going to impact those signals your body's getting to produce more or less thyroid hormone. What are some examples of that? And I listed a few of them on the right here for those of you watching on YouTube. Probably one of the most important markers is something called serum ferritin. That is actually the best way to measure your iron levels. And most people, when they get a blood test, they get their serum iron and they're like, well, my doctor ran iron and I was normal. And I asked, did they run ferritin? And they go, what's that? I go, exactly. So most of the iron in the body actually isn't in the form of free iron because it's highly toxic. So iron is bound using a lot of highway analogies. Iron is bound to a protein, a bus. And when iron is on this bus together, that bus is called ferritin. And much of the iron in the body is attached to that form. It's a storage form of iron. So that is the best way to measure iron levels. And iron is heavily involved in the production of thyroid hormone and the conversion of T4 to T3. So many, so many impactful things in thyroid hormone. So serum ferritin, definitely a marker you want to look at. Number two is probably the most ubiquitous lab test run, and that's a complete blood count, specifically with a differential. A complete blood count will tell you your hemoglobin, hematocrit, red blood cells, white blood cells. And the reason things like hemoglobin and red blood cells are important is again, to assess iron. Most of your iron in the body, there's a lot in ferritin true, but actually most of it is in hemoglobin. So when you're measuring hemoglobin levels, that's actually the best marker for overall iron status, even more than ferritin, which is why the two of them together are, are very impactful. But that's where anemia comes from when you have low hemoglobin or low red blood cells. So it's those markers we use to say if it's anemia or not, and then you use ferritin to really assess, is it iron deficiency anemia? Is it another nutrient related to anemia? And you need more than just iron for hemoglobin production. You need B12, you need folate, you need B6, you need magnesium. So many things that are needed in the production of hemoglobin and hematocrit that all will tell you what's going on with the thyroid. And the next one here, HSCRP or high sensitivity C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker. And it's probably the most, again, I love this term, this is the second time I use it, ubiquitous term or test used to measure inflammatory levels. And it's a great measure for general inflammation. And I think there is much more nuance you can get into regarding which inflammatory markers you would like to run. But I think starting with HSCRP, if you're having thyroid issues, is a really, really good place to start to see what's going on with my inflammatory levels. And I talked about autoimmunity, mentioned it earlier, TPO antibodies, by far the best marker for autoimmunity to the thyroid, specifically low thyroid or hypothyroid, if you're talking about hyperthyroid or excess thyroid hormone, completely different. I'm, I'm actually not talking about this in this video because hypothyroid is more prevalent than hyper. So TPO antibodies are a great example of a marker you want to run to assess your autoimmunity. And from my clinical experience, again, none of this is medical advice, levels below 300, I consider a win. As someone whose levels have been as high as 800, I've done quite a, a bit of rabbit holing, both on myself and on my, my patient population, what the number means when you get it back from LabCorp, Quest, or, or the at-home lab companies. But from my experience, if you can be below 300, that's generally a clinical win. And then lastly, another example test, Comprehensive metabolic panel. That's the second most ubiquitous test. So most practitioners in terms of your yearly physical, probably going to run a CBC 
probably going to run a CMP comprehensive metabolic panel. We care about that for metabolic health for your fasting glucose. That's not the most important thing. And then there's significantly better markers of overall metabolic health, but it's a good start. And it, we're also measuring function of your liver and your kidneys, which actually do play a part in thyroid conversion, particularly your liver, which is pretty fascinating. And you can also get markers such as bilirubin that give you a sense of how much oxidative stress is going on. So all could really tell you, is there things on the highway when I'm going from, you know, I live here in Phoenix. So from the I-10 down to anywhere else in Phoenix, so there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of inflammation. Doesn't matter how much information is in the car. If it's not getting to the house on time, doesn't matter how much hormone you have in the blood. If it's not getting to the cells correctly, then you're not going to feel the effects of it. Now, this is very, this isn't very new, but it's slightly new information. There's a, a very accurate way to measure free T4 levels. I talked about earlier, you know, most practitioners will only run a TSH most of the time. And sometimes if you're lucky, they'll run a free T4, but there are multiple methods of assessment for free T4. The one that's most conventional and that has been used for a long time is called the direct method. Why does it matter? Because free T4 is a very sensitive marker. It's also a very important marker. It's one of the markers that a lot of practitioners use who can prescribe hormone replacement, levothyroxine, Synthroid, Armor, Naturethroid, that they prescribe and they use that number to delineate, hey, are, are you, how is the dosage that you're getting working? Is it working for you? And there's a really, really cool study that I'll link to in the show notes called the biochemical testing of the thyroid. And it actually, the title is TSH is the best and oftentimes the only test needed. I, I disagree with that, but I see what the author is trying to put forward here. And what they, they, what they come to is there's a different type. So the conventional way to measure free T4 is via the direct method. There's a better method, more accurate. And they even go so far in the study to say that measurement of free T4 by something called equilibrium dialysis, or if you go to any Quest or LabCorp, it'll say dialysis mass or dialysis tandem mass spectrometry, really, really fancy word, is considered the gold standard for measuring free T4. So if you're someone who is either pregnant, taking birth control, or taking thyroid hormone replacement, you are significantly better off running the free T4 by dialysis tandem mass spectrometry. So if I would just ask your provider, if you're in one of those three categories, you know, is this something that I should be worried about? Is this a, a type of test that I should get? And if you're not in that population, I think you can still get away with using the free T4 by the direct method. The, the caveat is the, this newer method, because it's newer and isn't as widely accepted is a little bit more pricey or cost a little bit more, which I think if you're taking levothyroxine or you're taking birth control, if you're pregnant, or if you're pregnant taking levothyroxine, it's almost paramount that you have the free T4 by equilibrium dialysis method run. So again, if you don't know anything about what I just said, ask your provider about the multiple ways to measure free T4, and hopefully they know about it. If you don't, maybe even show them the study in here I was talking about. People always say that, but from my experience, a lot of pra other practitioners, our ego gets in the way. You know, we have big ego sometimes. And if someone tries to present us with data, sometimes we're a little, eh, hopefully, ideally we'd be open to it, but sometimes not so much. And what really I think is the most important part of this, this video here is there's other methods of assessment for the thyroid rather than specifically just targeting thyroid hormones. And this is, really gets to the point of what I talked about in the beginning, how your thyroid hormone levels really don't tell me that much about how your thyroid is functioning. And I put here four other tests that really tell me what's going on with your thyroid levels. We talked about muscle mass. I'm sure a lot of you listening out there would love to know about, hey, what's my body fat? How much muscle mass do I have? What's my bone density? And da, 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 da. There's 
a, a test that measure all those three things very, very accurately, something called a DEXA scan. DEXA scan, very similar to an x-ray, has a really fancy name, but it's become more popularized as a lot of longevity physicians are starting to talk about measuring muscle mass and bone density, even visceral fat, fat around the organs. So a DEXA scan is a great place to assess muscle mass, bone density, body fat. We'll tell you, you know, the function of your thyroid. If you have great muscle mass, if you have great bone density, if you have low body fat, that sort of tells you thyroid hormone is sort of working in your favor. Next is a cardiovascular panel. And that's also become more popularized by longevity physicians and any sort of abnormalities you'd pick up there, such as high triglycerides from any type of insulin resistance, or even high apolipoprotein B or ApoB as has been so aptly named may be associated with decreased function of the thyroid gland. So overarching any sort of abnormality on a cardiovascular panel, typically any, anything elevated might be indicative of decreased thyroid function as thyroid hormone plays a very intricate role in regulating cardiovascular markers. And the last two I'm going to talk about here are related to further assessment of nutrient status, which as we talked about in the last slide are super, super important for production and usage of thyroid hormones. First one is a test that I'm still experimenting with. I'm, I'm unsure of the, the long-term clinical utility of it. Something called a hair tissue mineral analysis. As the name implies, you just pluck a little bit of your hair, you send it off to a lab and they can tell you your mineral levels. So everything from sodium, potassium, chloride to heavy metals, such as arsenic, lead, mercury, cadmium, which is in and of itself really important for things that could disrupt thyroid function. But when you measure minerals in the hair, you're getting a better proxy of what's going on at the cellular level. Again, back to that house highway analogy. By measuring things, you're almost getting in the front yard of the house rather than when you're measuring blood levels of hormones, you're still on the highway. So we are really trying to get to that house. Unfortunately, some of you might be wondering, like, why don't we just measure what's in the house? The best way to do that is via biopsies, which are incredibly painful. <laughs> That's where they stick a needle either directly into your muscle, directly into an organ, which you would never do under that situation. <laughs> so they're just, they're very painful procedures to do and they're just very invasive. So they're just not often run, but we can still get really close with the combination, the totality of a lot of these labs and that hair tissue mineral analysis. There's a lot of companies that use it, but there's particular minerals on there that might be associated with what is happening to your thyroid hormone at the cellular level. Again, at the house. So in the front yard, so you can get a sense of what's happening in the front yard of your thyroid at the cell, particularly potassium and calcium. There's actually a ratio, the calcium to potassium ratio that will tell you how much thyroid hormone is functioning. And it's, as, it, as it's quoted, if it's high, if there's a significantly higher, I think it's about seven to 10 X more levels of calcium than potassium in your hair, that can be indicative of decreased thyroid hormone function. Vice versa, if it's significantly less, that could be indicative of increased thyroid activity and you're a little bit on the closer spectrum hyperthyroidism as opposed to hypo. And I also think from that test, assessing heavy metals that can be very disruptive and very causative for, I don't want to say causative, contributory to autoimmunity, also important. The last part here, red blood cell minerals. So sometimes for measuring things like B12 and folate, you can't really pick up on that from here, but there's beautiful tests in the blood cell, red blood cell that can help you determine a better indicator of those mineral levels. So some of you might be saying, well, I go to my doctor and they run folate, they run B12. They could be just be running it in the blood. And you're like, what's the difference between the red blood cell and the blood? We're getting a little in the weeds, but it's important to understand that 
You can measure minerals directly in the blood, or you can measure the minerals in the red blood cell. And normally the red blood cell contains more of the mineral than it's just hanging out freely in the blood. Like a lot of times minerals are being used, vitamins and minerals are being used. So they're not just hanging out in the blood. And by measuring it in the red blood cell, you're getting a better indication of how much is currently being used at the time. And when we're talking about thyroid, we're really looking at things like magnesium, zinc, selenium, like I said, B12 and folate are probably the most common red blood cell tests you can measure that will give you a look again at, hey, do I need to, am I deficient in this mineral? Am I having too much? Are there any things I can make to my nutritional regime to help support what's going on? And in closing here, we just talked about so many semantics, so much of the intricacies of thyroid testing and thyroid labs. But I, I, I plead to each and every one of you listening to this. If your foundational lifestyle pillars are in order, more than likely your thyroid is going to be functioning as it should. So if your sleep is dialed in, if you're eating a wide variety of nutrient-dense whole foods, if you're moving your body in different ranges of motion with a certain degree of frequency, if you have loving relationships in your life, if you're managing your stress with meditation, breath work, hot, cold, fasting, if you're doing all those big rocks of health, your thyroid is function just going to be a downstream effect of all those things you're doing upstream to support your overall wellness. So as fun as it is to rabbit hole down these labs, I love to do it too. At the end of the day, it always, it always, it always, it always, it always comes down to what is happening with your nutrition, lifestyle, and overall outlook on life.